it's actually. Our God created humanity with a thirst, and not just a thirst for water. He created humanity with a thirst, a desire for him. Go back to Genesis 1 where we are reminded that God created human beings very good. He created us in his image and he created us with the responsibility to be stewards of this earth. He created us to have relationships and created us to have healthy sexual relationships to fill the earth. He gave us the creation and he gave us all the possessions in the creation. He created us to worship him and to glorify him. Our God created us to be worshipers, to have desires, to have a thirst, but above all, a desire and a thirst for our one triune God. He created us to be people who are thirsty for him. But then we, many of us know the story, what happens next? Humanity fell into sin, and we continue to be sinful And even in our sinfulness, Reformed theologian John Calvin states in his writings that since God created humanity in his image, revealed himself to humanity in the beginning, that every person still has some knowledge and some sense that God exists. This can also be found in Scripture in Romans 1.20, where it states that everyone can have a knowledge of God through the creation. But often our sense and our knowledge is distorted. And instead of desiring God, we desire the good gifts that he gives to us. Maybe relationships, maybe possessions. And then we begin to desire these things above God. Verse 11 and 13 in our passage this morning summarize well what God wants to clearly convey to his people. Where we read, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And then in verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spirit of living, the spring rather, of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's not very intelligent, let alone responsible. And in the New Testament, this is summarized again in Romans as well. Romans 1.25, which states, Humanity exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. We have made good things that God gave to us into worthless idols. In our sinfulness, we traded that which was real for that which is unreal. We traded what is true for what is false. Truth for lies. And we would rather dig broken cisterns where water seeps out of than seek the spring of living water, a constant supply of water. So we thirst towards other things, making them worthless over a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And following our own idols, our own sins, our own wills will only lead us to disaster and death. As Jeremiah stated in this passage, the people of Israel traded in the living water for broken cisterns. These broken cisterns, or in other words, their sinful nature led them to put their attention and focus on anything other than God. Again, it's repeated several times that the people worshipped worthless idols. And St. Augustine, he wrote back in the 4th century that idolatry is worshipping anything that ought to be used 
or using anything that ought to be, that is meant to be worshipped. Worshipping anything that ought to be used, our possessions are to be used, but we're worshipping anything that ought to be used, or using anything that is meant to be worshipped. Using God for our own benefit. God brought charges against the people and stated numerous times how they were worshipping worthless idols. And when people worshipped these worthless idols, as verse 5 says, they became, they themselves became worthless. That means that they were not being kingdom builders. They were not being obedient. They were not people who were reflecting the faithfulness of God. Some of you might be familiar with the phrase that you are what you eat, meaning healthy food leads to a healthy person, a healthy body. Or unhealthy food leads to unhealthy person, unhealthy body. Well, Scripture states right here that you are what you worship. The people of Israel worshipped things that had no value, that devalued them. On account of that, they were unable to find happiness and fulfillment in whatever they put their focus on. They'd be unable to find holiness with what they worshipped. Worship unholy things, you will be unholy. You are what you worship. Worship holiness. You will be holy. Worship Jesus. You will be like him. You will have value in Jesus. So here we have in this passage, the people, they begin drifting from God. The people strayed from God. And the people forgot all that God had done for them through bringing them through the wilderness and bringing them to the promised land centuries earlier. God brought them to this fertile land. He gave them everything they needed. And then the priests and the leaders, they rebelled against God. The prophets prophesied Baal. And as verse 13 states, they forsaken me. Again, they followed worthless idols. And then the Lord compared them to surrounding nations, stating how foolish the Israelites were. Because surrounding nations had gods who could do nothing for them. The gods of the surrounding nations, they were useless and powerless, and yet the corrupt, immoral, detestable nations at least never changed their gods. They didn't trade in their powerless gods. And here the Israelites have this faithful, powerful, providing, protecting God, a God who who cares for his people and desires to have a relationship with his people. And then the Israelites, they turned from him and exchanged him for whatever else they set their eyes upon. They exchanged the living water that was right before them, necessary for life. And they traded that in for broken cisterns, ones that they even had to dig for themselves, and they were leaking. They intentionally sought out their desires and fell away from God. They basically signed their own death sentence by worshiping idols. Now, when we hear the word idol, perhaps some people visualize a statue or maybe an image or something, and you might visualize people bowing down to this statue. I mean, maybe we have that because a call centuries earlier, Israel bowed down to a golden calf in Exodus 32. And the golden calf was a statue, but the golden calf simply uh, was a representation of a deeper problem, 
Moses had gone up to see the Lord and people lacked their leader and the calf attempted to represent their security due to their insecurity. But idols are not necessarily statues or images. Pastor Mark Driscoll, he's a church planner in Arizona, and he shares a story of going to a village in, uh, in, in, in the middle of nowhere, basically, in East India. And when he arrived, he was disgusted by all the uh, idols as far as the eye can see. He saw these statues, these idols, and he saw the chicken feathers and blood all over the place having been sacrificed to these idols by the people. And then he asked one of the Christian missionary wives, wouldn't you just want to get back to your former North American culture than trying to be a witness here? And he was shocked by her reply, and she said, absolutely not. She went on to say that when she had made a visit to North America, she was actually disgusted with all the idol worship in North America. She said she couldn't handle the idolatry. She said, North America, in North America, your God is your stomach, and there are restaurants everywhere. Your God is the sports teams, and there are multi-million dollar stadiums that are built to house them and gather together to worship in them. Your God is your televisions, and people set up chairs around the altar. You see, idols are not statues, statues or images. Idols is putting our focus and our loyalty on anything else other than God. It's allowing our sinful nature to distract us from God. So an, item can, an idol can be a physical object, a property, a person, an activity, a, a role, an institution, a, a hope, an image, an idea, even a pleasure or a hero, and the list goes on, of course. Our society, too, today has turned away from the living water. We've dug our own broken cisterns. We are manufacturing our idols, and the assembly line appears to be operating 24-7. Timothy Keller, church planner and pastor in New York City, states how work, a commandment of God, a good thing, can become an idol if it's pursued so exclusively and that responsibilities to one's family or one's church are ignored. And then the family, a blessing from God, an institution of God himself can become an idol if one is so preoccupied with the family that no one outside of one's family is cared for. Or being well-liked even, a, a perfectly legitimate hope. It becomes an idol if the attachment to it means that no one ever risks disapproval. Our worship service can become idolized, saying that we're doing things out of respect and honor to God, but really, it's simply for pleasing us, making things go the way we want. Keller goes on to state that the gods of today did not start off as bad things. In fact, they are good things, but our heart takes them and then makes these good things into idols. Our heart takes these good things and makes them into what Keller would refer to as counterfeit gods. And often we are unaware that this is happening. And we have to intentionally identify the idols of our hearts and repent from these idols. You see, just as the Israelites had forsaken God, their living water, we too have at times forsaken our living water. And again, we've dug our own cisterns. We've dug broken cisterns. We've dug cisterns that cannot provide at all what we need. And on account of our sinful nature, we've traded our life-giving water supply, our relationship with Jesus, for other supplies that cannot provide us life. And so we're called to repent. 
to repent of all that is pulling our attention away from God. So what idols, what sins, what dysfunctional thirsts in your life have to be repented for? What do you need to let go of in order to return your focus back to Jesus? People, we need to face our idols. And we need to face our sins. We need to ask God to reveal to us what is in our hearts. And when we do, when we become aware of these things, we confess our sins. And we can only experience God's amazing grace and his forgiveness. Ask the Spirit of Jesus to reaffirm his will for your life. Friends, we need water to survive. We can't trade water in for anything if we want to live. We know how important water is for our life. And so it would be ludicrous if we traded in our water even for a million bucks or more. So if you would not trade your thirst for physical refreshing water for any other thing, why would we trade our thirst for spiritual water, for Jesus, for any other thing? It's in the Gospel of John, John 4, where we read that Jesus is our living water. And Jesus says that anyone who drinks from the living water will never thirst again. Jesus says in John 7, 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. People, God, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth so that we may live. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that we may have eternal life. And just as we need water to survive, we need our Savior, Jesus, our living water to survive. And we can't trade our Savior, Jesus, in for anything if we want to survive. We can't forfeit our relationship with our Lord and our Savior. Following the message this morning, we'll be singing a song from Brian Dirksen. It's titled, The River. And the line in, one line in that song says, To the river I am going, bringing sins I cannot bear. We cannot bear our own sins. And yes, we do fall short. But God continues to extend his amazing grace to us. And we have someone who can bear all our sins. And he is Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our living water. And people, we need to come to Jesus to lay all our sins before him at his feet. Come to him thirsty. Come to him needy. Come to him and be refreshed. And as you are refreshed, go out and share that refreshment. I mean, if you were caught between a rock and a hard place and you didn't have water, you would want that life-saving water to be provided to you. If someone else were caught between a rock and a hard place and had no water, would you not share water with them? Of course you would. Of course you'd even assist them in getting free. And in retrospect, you'd probably realize how God used them to free you even more. We live in a world where so many people are digging cisterns and they, like the Israelites and like ourselves, dig these cisterns in vain because they're broken and they are losing water. People have three days to live without water. So what are you going to do? Look for those lost and trapped and we don't have to go too far. 
They're in our midst. Maybe there's some of us here. Share the water. Share the living water of Jesus. The unlimited supply of God's grace. Share that God wants all people to come to him and to thirst no more. People of God, allow God's Holy Spirit to work in us, making us aware of our idols, our sins, and all that takes our, take our focus away from Jesus. Experience what the living water can do for you through forgiveness and amazing grace and love. And again, don't keep this living water to yourself. Let it flow and let others know what the living water has done for your life and let others know what the living water can do for their life. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, holy God, bread of life, living water, we thank you for your word and we are again reminded from your word that we often have idols in our lives and perhaps in some cases we're even unaware of what these idols are. They're sometimes so subtle to us. We pray that you will continue to work your transforming power in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives so that we will come to know our shortfalls and our sins and that we will repent of that which we tend to put too much focus on, that which is not according to your will. So Lord, we come before you at this time in, in, in a moment of silence, just asking for your spirit to convict us of our idols and of our sins. Let's take a moment. We confess our sins before you, Lord. Forgive us for all that is worthless. Forgive us for putting our trust and hope in things that are so uncertain. Forgive us for not focusing on you and on you alone. And help us to focus on you. Help us to focus on the living water. May we be able to come to Jesus, our living water, and experience the amazing grace through our Lord and our Savior. Amen. People of God, we are given words of grace and assurance from Psalm 86 where we read, You are a forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. People of God, our God listens. Our God listens to his people and he forgives all our sins through the body and blood of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise be to our God. 